Okay, good. I need a little time to get all my parts together, so. When you get to my age, okay, when you get to my age, you have to uh, make sure you don't leave anything at home and whatever you have with you works. It's a privilege for my wife, Mary, and I to be here. Thank you. The scripture reading from the Old Testament is taken from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 42, reading from verses 1 through 12. Then all the army officers, including Johanan, the son of Kira, and Jezaniah, the son of Hoshaniah, and all the people from the least to the greatest approached the prophet Jeremiah and said to him, Please hear our petition and pray to the Lord your God for this entire remnant. For as you now see, though we were many, now only a few are left. Pray that the Lord your God will tell you, <coughs> sorry, pray that the Lord your God will tell us where we should go and what we should do. I have heard you, replied Jeremiah the prophet. I will certainly pray to the Lord your God as you have requested. I will tell you everything the Lord says and will keep nothing back from you. And they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act in accordance with everything the Lord your God sends you to tell us, whether it is favorable or unfavorable. We will obey the Lord our God to whom we are sending you so that it will go well with us. For we will obey the Lord our God. Ten days later, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So he called together Johanan, son of Kira, and all the army officers who were with him, and all the people from the least to the greatest. He said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition, says. If you stay in this land, I will build you up and not tear you down. I will plant you and not uproot you. For I have relented concerning the disaster I have inflicted on you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord. For I am with you and will save you and deliver you from his hands. I will show you compassion so that he will have compassion on you and restore you to your land. This is the word of the Lord.
Thank you very much, uh, David, for that reading of Scripture. It's so meaningful for us to have you present tonight and for you to participate in this service in this particular way. So thank you again. Well, the title of my message tonight is A Fiery Preacher, and before the service, Pastor John Mahaffey said to me, what do you mean by a fiery preacher? And I said to him, well, I'm not going to give you a spoiler before the service even starts. That's the question we're going to ask in the message. But it's based on 2 Timothy 1. If you have Bibles with you, please turn to 2 Timothy 1. And if you don't, you can always read the text as it is projected above me. Paul wrote two letters to Timothy, and this is a message from his second letter, 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, just two verses that we're going to reflect on tonight. Second Timothy 1, 6 and 7. For this reason, Paul writes to Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. This is the word of the Lord. Well, in the city of Geneva, during the 16th century, there were three gifted preachers. John Calvin, Pierre Beret, and Guillaume Farel. These were all faithful and fruitful pastors, and yet very different. And it was said by their contemporaries that whereas John Calvin preached with substance... Pierre Verey preached with eloquence, and Guillaume Farrell preached with vehemence. I want to ask you tonight, which of the three was the fiery preacher? Well, it all depends tonight on where you locate the fire. Is the fire in substance, or is the fire in eloquence, or is the fire in vehemence? Or is the fire to be located somewhere else? The words in our text are spoken to Timothy, who by this time in his life was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. From one perspective, he was anything but a fiery preacher. He was very burdened by his pastoral responsibilities in Ephesus, perhaps especially because he anticipated the imminent martyrdom of his great mentor, the Apostle Paul. He was reticent to lead. We can offer two possible reasons. For one, Timothy was comparatively young. In Paul's previous letter to Timothy, he told Timothy not to permit people to look down on him because of his youth. And in this letter, 
elsewhere, some two years after the previous letter, he instructs Timothy to flee from youthful passions. So he was comparatively young. But he was also frail in his physique. He was prone to sickness. Again, in the previous letter, the Apostle Paul mentions his frequent illnesses. Young in age, frail in physique. Well, this much we know for sure. Timothy did not have a forceful personality. He was timid in temperament. He was reticent to speak and to act courageously, boldly, with conviction. So much so that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians about Timothy's arrival in 1 Corinthians 16 with these words, When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. In the words of one Bible commentator, Timothy was more disposed to leave than to lead. Now, doesn't that make a bad candidate for ministry? Well, I wonder if this is actually something that makes one a good candidate for ministry. We in the evangelical church over the past few years have suffered from a lot of pastoral bravado, from a lot of authoritarianism and narcissism in the church and the toxic ministries they yield. What would you want out of a pastor tonight, charisma or character? Well, Pastor Greg has ministered faithfully in the Presbyterian Church of Canada over many years. And when he was put on our list of potential candidates to call, we scrutinized him. And we scrutinized him again. And we invited others to scrutinize him alongside of us. And having scrutinized him, we decided to call him. Why did we decide to call him? Was it because Pastor Greg is such a great orator? Well, he's a good orator, but that's not why. Is it because Pastor Greg could dazzle us with his preaching? Well, he's a good preacher, and that's not why. Was it because he could rally a congregation around him to support him? Well, he's a good leader, and that's not why. When we scrutinized him, there are two aspects about his life and ministry that attracted us and that impressed us. Number one, he was humble in character. And number two, he took a faithful stance on the gospel in a very challenging world. And it's our conviction that humility and fidelity are the seeds of a fruitful ministry. And that's why we called him. The Apostle Paul, in our text, summons Timothy to be a fiery preacher, and we are going to extend that summons on to Pastor Greg. 
And in the time we have together tonight, we're going to see two things. First of all, the appeal itself that Paul makes, and then the basis that he provides. Well, what is the appeal? Verse 6, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy had a gift, and it wasn't a natural gift or an ordinary gift. It was an extraordinary gift. What was the extraordinary gift that Timothy had? Was it the gift of speaking in tongues? Or the gift of prophecy? Or the gift of miracles? Well, we don't know for certain what the gift was. We do know for certain when the gift was received, and it was received at Timothy's ordination at the laying on of hands from Paul and the others. Given that the gift was received at his ordination, the gift was likely a resource for ministry. And I want to propose tonight that this gift was the grace of God to lead the people of God and teach the word of God about the Son of God. The grace of God to lead the people of God and teach the word of God about the Son of God. And Paul says to Timothy in this passage, Timothy, that gift is a fire. And you can't let that fire die down. You can't let that fire smolder. You've got to stoke that fire. Now this past summer... My youngest son and I went camping in a tent. And we did not bring air mattresses with, it, with us because we were going to rough it. And I could sleep on the ground, no problem at all. Well, the first night, I didn't sleep a wink. It was so uncomfortable. I felt every contour of the ground beneath my back. It was cold. It was uncomfortable. When I woke up in the morning, I said to my son, I'm not going to do this again. I said, what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to sleep in our zero-gravity recliner. Do you know what a zero-gravity recliner is? Clearly, we were not roughing it too much if you bring along zero-gravity recliners. I said, I'm going to sleep under the stars tonight in my zero-gravity recliner. And my son said to me, I'll join you. This will be fun. Sleep under the stars. Made a little fire. We got in our recliners, sleeping bag on top of us. And it got cold. And it got colder and colder. And I woke up every hour because it was so cold and I had to stoke the fire. Add some logs to the fire. Keep that Fire burning, because here's the problem with fire. It dies down. It's prone to die down. Fire needs constant attention. You have to feed it oxygen, feed it fuel, fan the flame. Well, God's gifts are like fire. They're not static commodities that we house passively like water in a jug. They are active resources that they are resources rather that we must actively exercise. 
They're a little bit like muscles. They only work if you exercise them. And if you don't exercise them, they atrophy. That's what happens to God's gifts if we don't exercise them. They atrophy. Now, perhaps it surprises you tonight that the gifts of God can wither, that the gifts of God can um, decrease and die down. Does it surprise you that we are responsible for how we use God's gifts? It really shouldn't surprise us at all. Because God doesn't only give talents, he requires us to use the talents he gives. And we will never know the power of God's gifts unless we exercise them. I want you to listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.10. He says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. I am who I am by the grace of God, but I worked hard. The apostle says, Well, Pastor Greg, when you were ordained, you were given a gift. And that gift was the grace of God to lead the people of God and teach the word of God about the Son of God. Don't abuse that gift. Don't misuse that gift. Don't neglect that gift. Don't ignore that gift because the gifts of God will die down if they're not exercise, fan into flame the gift, stoked the fire, embrace the gift, and embody it. But why? Paul doesn't only make the appeal, he goes on to provide the basis, verse 7, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The Spirit God gave us is the Holy Spirit that he poured out on Pentecost. That Spirit gives a gift at ordination. And what the Spirit gives at one's ordination is not timidity. Timothy was timid in temperament. He was reticent to lead, reticent to speak confidently. And so Paul has to say to him, look, when you were ordained, you received a gift that you need to fan into flame. The gift that the Spirit gives is not timidity, but the Spirit gives power and love and self-discipline. Let's walk through all of these dimensions. First of all, the Spirit gives power Now, power is the ability to direct, the ability to influence, to say and do things that change situations. Power in our society is a bad word. People are suspicious of power, and yet the world needs power. The world needs authority, and the world needs direction. Anarchy does not generate human flourishing. 
At creation, before the fall into sin, Adam and Eve were given a mandate to have dominion over the earth, to subdue the earth and fill it. Now, that mandate has been misinterpreted by some, and it's led to the exploitation of the earth. You should understand tonight that nowhere in the Bible, anywhere, is there any license to exploit the earth. But what then does dominion mean? Well, the way to answer that question is to ask, how does God exercise dominion? And the kingdom of God that Jesus introduces, in that kingdom we see that dominion is not overlording, but underlording. And what does Jesus say? As the Lord and master of his disciples, what does he do? How does Jesus exercise dominion? Well, as the Lord and master of his disciples, he gets down on his knees, doesn't he? Prepares a basin of water, wraps a towel around his waist, and washes the feet of his disciples. And the Apostle Paul wants Timothy to remember this, that the Spirit gives power, but the Spirit also gives love. And if power refers to an ability, then love refers to the direction if power for a pastor is the ability to teach and lead, then love is the direction of that leadership because love is always directed to another. Love is exercised for the benefit of others. And if you exercise power for yourself, to give yourself a good reputation, to make yourself important, to make yourself feel good. It's power that's misused. It's power that's abused. Power must be exercised in love. Without love, power becomes dangerous and destructive and even demonic. But without love, sorry, without power, love is arbitrary and whimsical and ineffective, power must be shaped by love. And where especially do we see Jesus exercise power? In the very same place where we see Jesus demonstrate his love, at the cross. Jesus exercising power, Jesus demonstrating love at the same place because there at the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for sin. Whose sin? Your sin, my sin. There at the cross, Jesus defeated the power of sin. Whose sin? Your sin, my sin. In order to be the victor, Jesus became the victim. And as Jesus himself says, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Greg, fan into flame, the gift of God. It's the gift of power. It's the gift of love. It is serving the way that Jesus did, with the grace of Jesus. As Peter said to the elders, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not lording it over those entrusting, entrusted to you, 
but being examples to the flock. Be a shepherd for the sheep, not for your betterment, but for theirs. As Jesus said to Peter, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Well, the gift of the Holy Spirit for pastors includes power and love, and thirdly and lastly, self-discipline. This brings us full circle. The fire is something that can die down. The gift of God is something that can diminish. And we are responsible to ensure that the fire is stoked. We must practice self-discipline, and the discipline here is all kinds of discipline. It's the discipline of prayer, for sure, daily prayer. It's the discipline of Bible reading. It's the discipline of Bible study. It's the discipline of time. It's the discipline of rest. Fan into flame the gift. We are not passive recipients. We are active participants in the gift. Well, Greg, we are summoning you tonight to be a fiery preacher. Where is the fire? Is it in substance? Is it in eloquence? Is it in vehemence? Here's where the fire is. God's grace to lead God's people and to teach God's word about God's Son with power, love, and self-discipline. Dear Greg, God has called you to ministry, and when he called you, he gave you grace to lead God's people and to teach God's word about God's Son. That grace is like a fire. Stoke that fire daily so you can lead us, so you can teach us with eloquence, perhaps, with substance, to be sure, with vehemence on occasion. Lead us, teach us by the grace of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus. Let's pray together. Our dear Lord, we praise you tonight that when you call us to a specific task, a specific vocation, you simultaneously equip us. So that we, when we enter into the vocations you've given to us, we enter with the resources we need for the vocation. And in many ways, the office of pastor is overwhelming. And there's no one who naturally seems suited for it. To stand in the place of Christ and appeal to people, to teach the scriptures, to preach the gospel, who is fit for the task? 
And there are times, Father, you know when we as pastors feel overwhelmed and burdened and insufficient for the work. But we pray that Pastor Greg and all pastors would fan into flame the gift daily, would stoke the fire, the grace that you provide to lead and to teach. Help him to understand every day he is a pastor here at Blessings, that his grace for him, that your grace for him is sufficient for the task. And we pray that his ministry among us would be a ministry not of timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.